Dear Bill Bailey, I feel like I should begin by telling you I'm not one of your super fans. That's perhaps not the best way to persuade you to read this, but I want to be honest. This is not fan mail in the truest sense. I, I think that's important to understand the context of why I'm writing and for me to not attempt to hide behind flattery. Having said that, it may also be a poor attempt by me to try and justify that I'm now writing to a celebrity. I've just finished reading your remarkable guide to happiness. It was an impulse buy on Amazon. It looked like it could be fairly cheerful and I needed something different after making my way through David Copperfield, which I enjoyed, but it's a heavy going read. Having now read your book, seen a few gigs and watched a few shows, there is this strange phenomenon where I feel that I know you. I hope that hasn't creeped you out too much. I know that as a logical, rational person, that this is a silly feeling to have. And yet, that's the feeling I think we all get with certain people in the public eye. We become invested in them and care about what happens to them. We decide who we like and who we don't. Look at all of those huge displays of grief and memorials when a celebrity dies. There is a connection there. Perhaps that's unsurprising when we spend so much time absorbed by what a celebrity does or says or sings about. I've never felt the need to put a poster on my wall of a family member, for example. For me, the connection I feel is absolutely not the same that I have with a friend or a family member. But there is something still special about the connection that I create in my own mind with someone appearing on TV or stage or who has written something I can relate to. Writing this and thinking about that link we have with those that entertain us led me to do quite a lot of research. I wondered how other people felt was it just me that had begun to feel like I know someone that I'd never met and knew nothing about me? I found myself first reading about celebrity worship syndrome. To be clear, that's not what I'm trying to get at here. I'm not trying to express when the perceived connection turns obsessional or leads to stalking. I'm not attempting to describe something out of the ordinary. It's just something different. I then found myself, after jumping through many internet hoops, eventually reading about parasocial interaction. This was an idea that first formed in the 1950s, I think, to describe the relationship that consumers felt that they shared with television performers. It's a one-sided interaction, yet it remains social. This feels closer to what I'm trying to express. I do wonder how social media has impacted that. It certainly makes that connection feel somehow stronger. And I also wonder whether this phenomenon has increased with the restrictions in our ability to form those real connections and see people in real life during the pandemic. I think that whether we are reading about someone or watching someone, there is this space in our brains created and we fill in the gaps that the TV show or the book or the piece of music or the interview doesn't tell us to complete that person in our own mind from what we think we know. We extrapolate 
and we decide what fits. That makes us feel like we know this person that we watch or read about as a rounded person. They have this dedicated space in our brain and often the contact we have with them can be just as frequent as the people we know in real life. There are some that we can see every day online or our screens if we choose. I think we probably do this activity of gap filling even with those that we do not know from the telly, books or music. It what leads us to be disappointed and hurt when someone behaves in a way that we didn't quite expect them to or feel the way that we think they should or doesn't enjoy that gift that we were so sure they would love. It's just perhaps more obvious we are doing it when it's to do with someone removed that we rationally know we can't possibly truly know. There is also another dimension when it comes to this perceived relationship with a celebrity. Often we will associate a particular celebrity or piece of work or song with a time in our lives or even with other people that we love that gives this connection an added power, I suppose. For me, when I hear Tom Jones' sex bomb, I'm immediately transported back to school discos, an incredibly cringe-worthy dance move that were absolutely inappropriate for children. When someone mentions the Canterbury Tales, I'm reminded of those few weeks when I had fallen out with my friends and I spent my time in a toilet cubicle in year eight, reading alone during the lunch breaks. When I hear the lyrics, please allow me to introduce myself, I'm a man of wealth and taste, I'm in the car with my dad, listening to one of the many mixed CDs we've made. These pieces of art and the people that create them become part of the soundtrack and landscape of our lives. They become stamps that we can mark periods in our lives with. As someone who is not a celebrity, I have only thought about this relationship from the side of the viewer, the person consuming, the person being entertained. I was reminded of this when I was watching Glow Up recently and a makeup artist spoke about missing her followers on Instagram during a competition. I was really surprised by this. I can understand that there must be this enormous energy transfer when you perform in front of a crowd. I can understand that when someone enjoys something that you've produced, that it gives you a buzz. And from those two things, I can suspect that if you no longer have those feelings or that experience, you can miss them. You can miss them. It's not really the people, the fans that you're missing. It's the feeling they give you. Yet this person described missing the people. This wasn't a rock star saying, hello, New York, we love you. This was something far more personal. So with this strange feeling of familiarity, as I read your remarkable guide to happiness, I found myself being surprised by some of what you do, enjoy and have done. It's not why I had pictured. It was not part of the gaps that I'd filled in. And usually when I read about some of the sorts of things that you have done, from wild swimming to jumping out of a plane, I find myself sighing. 
these sorts of achievements often feel cliche and that these are things that are somehow just not for me. And I feel a sense of envy too, because they're somehow unobtainable. Yet somehow, strangely, your book did not trigger that usual automatic reaction. I found myself smiling. I found myself strangely calmer. I found myself wanting to get up and do something. It's hard to determine whether it was your book and your writing that truly triggered that or not. Maybe it was just the act of pausing and reading. Maybe War and Peace would have had the same effect had I happened to read when read even when I needed to. Maybe the stars aligned, Venus was not in retrograde, and I just happened to read it on the right time and day for it to have the effect it did. I also want to say that for a book that talks about happiness, your book didn't feel like I was being preached to or being lectured to. And whatever the reasons, it now, having read it, feels appropriate to write to you and to say thank you. Somehow, you reached through the pages into my brain and you triggered inspiration. For a few pages, you made me think differently. You made me think about what happiness means to me. Something about your book helped me to begin to look at these small everyday moments that we usually let pass us by. Sometimes, if you allow yourself to pause, think, and have that awareness, you can capture a moment. I did it today. I was sitting at home watching a sitcom and eating a piece of Wensley Down cranberry cheese, generally enjoying having my feet up. In one brief flash, I realised that it was exactly what I wanted to be doing. There is a great power in being able to pause and have that realisation. It felt as if time had stopped just for that moment. Emily Dickinson once said, the mere sense of living is joy enough. I think there's something wise and true in that. Perhaps she didn't quite mean what I take from it, but to me it highlights that need to appreciate the life we have. I don't even mean the big things, like those those that love us or what we've achieved or how we've been lucky, though we should appreciate those more. I'm talking about the pure happiness that can be experienced in a moment independent of whatever else is happening in your life. The purity of just appreciating a sip of a really good cup of tea. You've inspired me to be a little bit more creative and to be more reflective and to take time to appreciate moments and the things that matter to me. Thank you.